welcome to this free episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Uh, my name is Hussein. Um, look, you can follow me at HKZVANI on Twitter if you want. Uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. There's some Twitter drama that's happened in my life. There's not even, it's not even good drama. It's just like boring drama. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I'm Phoebe. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at PRHROY. Um, the reason that you can't follow Hussein at the moment is um, because I reported him. Uh, <laughs> because I thought he made um, I thought he made a really mean joke about about Elon Musk and his rockets. And so I thought <laughs> I thought it was time. It was time yeah, that said, he experienced some consequences for his actions. Yeah, yeah I said the rockets were five foot seven. And they are certainly not five foot seven. Um, we're, we're joined this week uh, by a returning guest, and actually one of my favorite writers is one of my favorite people online. Uh, Rebecca Jennings from Vox does the Goods newsletter. Has written like two really really good essays uh, in the past week, couple of weeks, actually a couple of days even, um, kind of synthesizing all the posts of the year. Uh, we're gonna be talking about one to kind of like top the show off. But before we get into that, Rebecca, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Phoebe, are you doing sick. all right before? Oh, your Phoebe's sick. Oh, I'm, I'm so oh, sick. Oh, no. I've I'm got sorry. The, I've got the kind of the mega cold cough thing that's been um, that's been going around. So like, I can speak today. I wasn't able to speak over the weekend. Um, but mm. I apologize if my voice sounds a little bit, a little bit croaky. You were silenced by your own body and Britain's uh, climate. By my own body, yeah. I, I was silenced today. too close yeah. to you on the tube as well. That's right. I was silenced today by two-factor authentication. Um, <laughs> I do want to, like, this is kind of, so like, okay, the whole thing uh, for people who like don't kind of like follow the drama online and all that stuff, or like didn't see the 10K post account, which I sort of put the message on, um, I can no longer access my Twitter account, but not because I like said anything mean about bts or like did some sort of discourse i didn't even like make a joke about elon musk right and there's been like some accounts that have made like fairly mild jokes about elon and suddenly are like oh i can't access my account's been suspended no the reason why i got kicked off was because my computer updated last night and as part i don't know what happened during my update but i imagine i think chrome updated and so uh, a bunch of, I got logged out of a bunch of my accounts, which was like fine for the most part. But then when I got onto Twitter, um, I had forgotten my password. So I then had to reset my password, but I forgot that, well, when you have to reset your password, you also have to go through two factor authentication unless you switched it off, um, which I did not do. Um, so as a result, I can't do two factor authentication because Twitter doesn't recognize my phone network, which is weird because my phone network is on three mobile, which for anyone living in the UK will know that it's like one of the biggest mobile networks in the entire country. Um, which is to say that this isn't like a problem of freeze. It's much more to do with the fact that since kind of Elon Musk fired a bunch of people, including, I think there was a, there was a term he used for it, which was called like Twitter's widgets team or something. It was basically just like, he kind of categorized it as all these types of like small projects that Twitter does, which relate to like security and all those things that he felt that you only needed 20% of. So he fired a bunch of people in those departments. One of those departments was involved in kind of account security and two-factor authentication. So as a result, a lot of people have been booted out of their accounts, some for like since he's taken over, so like about a month or so ago. Um, and because Twitter doesn't really have like a help desk anymore, nor does it have a press department, like no one really knows what's going on. And the, and the only advice that you're being given is like, turn off two-factor authentication and uh, never log off. Um, so, because, <laughs> so because I... 
did but I because I contravened on both those things, including um reneging on my promise to never log off, I am now in uh the naughty I'm I'm in I'm in the sort of like on the naughty stool, but I have glue stuck to me as well. If that makes any sense, which it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> but at least we can we still we still get to blame Elon Musk for something though, which is fun. So yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I am <clears throat> look, I, I am a VOE, which is to say I'm a victim of Elon. Um <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm I'm joining I'm joining lots of other VOEs uh uh, on, on like you know victims of his war on wokeness so yeah um I, I'll, I'll bring it down to that so i don't know when my personal account's coming back uh my wife is really happy that i don't have my account anymore um she when i told her she was just like you could just see that as i was telling her she just had this like grin on her face that kept growing and growing and growing and i was just like why is why is like oh because like you know you won't get you won't spend as much time on your phone anymore which is true but she didn't have to say it she didn't have to say it so directly. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll be like offline for a bit until they sort this out. But that is my drama for today. Um, so we, should we talk about some posts? Should we talk about, or should we talk about like, um, before we get into the posts, because usually we start off the post and then we sort of go on to the more serious stuff. But I thought that we could sort of do a reversal today because usually around about this time, we tend to, we tend to do like end of year roundups and we tend to just be like, here are our favorite posts or discourses of the year and here's what they might say about like this year in posting. But Rebecca, you've kind of done that already with this essay that came out last week, um, which was really about, um, the title's called, and we'll kind of put the links in the show notes, the title's called Every Chronically Online Conversation is the Same. At what point does discourse become punishment? Um, you synthesize like some of the posts of the year and like the biggest discourses and stuff. Um, but one of the things that I kind of got out was like a lot of it was to do with like relationships and commenting and surveilling and making judgments on relationships. So before we sort of get into our post, which kind of relate to that, I wondered whether you could talk about like the essay, what was like the things that sort of were making you think about it and, uh, the stuff <coughs> that you, you were noticing throughout the year, uh, in the course of writing it. Yeah. So basically what happened was I, uh, like two weeks ago, I posted a tweet that was like, all right, everybody, like, what was your favorite chronically online discourse um, of the year? And that's something that I did two years ago uh, at the end of 2020, when it felt like just the notch had been turned so far up now that like everyone had spent the last nine months kind of just living their whole lives online, really cooped up, just like really crazy levels of brainworms or whatever. And so that was like a really fun, you know, little thought experiment that I did two years ago. And I was like, all right, like there, I feel like there were a lot this year. So I, I did that. And obviously it like went massively viral, like ma way more viral than the original one had. Um, and not in a good way, obviously. Uh, but, you know, there were, there were, uh, you know, people were listing their favorite kind of back and forths of the year. And they were pretty, you know, they were what you would expect. It was like, you know, people calling out other people for really stupid reasons. Mm. Um, but what happened was like, as the more viral it got and the more responses I got, I started, I started to feel a little bit bad. <laughs> like I was like, what is this contributing to? Like, I don't want to have this be like, let's dunk on disabled people hour, you know, like because so many of the uh, discourses yeah. were about like trying to call out injustice, which, you know, is a really important and good thing. It was just like the times that people have kind of crossed the line into like, what's so like beyond what's socially acceptable to sort of call out someone for like, you know, like we live in obviously a very like unjust society, but 
not everything can needs to be this, you know, this talking point for the greater, you know, societal implications of whatever we're talking about. When we're talking about like some lady likes to sit having coffee with her wife or with uh, her husband in her garden. And every response mm. is like, well, must be nice. Like having a garden, elitist, you know, something like that. <laughs> right, but, um, yeah. but yeah. And, and I sort of wanted to show how like, you know, in all of these kind of conversations, like we think that the main character is the person who's like, you know, who's saying the bad thing, like who's, who's saying like you're elitist because you like to have coffee in the mornings with your husband. Mm. It's the people that are just like, competing to have the best dunk on the girl who said that. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's sort of what the story was about. Yeah, I think like this is this is sort of what I was kind of, when when I was thinking about doing the end of year episode, I think I sort of had the same problem or like the same kind of concern, but like at what point, like how do you, like when you're sort of distinguishing discourse that is just sort of weird and bizarre and sort of like exaggerated, um, you know, uh, how, how, it, I guess like sort of also seeing that, okay, the reason why they might be saying this might come from out of good faith, right? So like the husband, the, the, the wife having coffee in the garden with her husband and everything. I remember that discourse as kind of just being so like to me, really, really bizarre. But I was like going through some of the comments and I was kind of, it wasn't to say that, oh yeah, this is like a reasonable response, but it's more like, okay, well, sure. I can understand the point, but like to be able to be a, like to like two freelancers who are, uh, wealthy enough or like have enough means to sort of like have long breakfasts every morning because they have like such flexible work schedules that isn't available for everyone. Um, right. And like this, you know, and if you really dig, dig, dig into it, this does kind of like address some of the broader issues about like, well, who gets to sort of in this kind of economy where people are becoming like, you know, whether there is far less job security, like who tends to benefit more out of it and who doesn't. I think like that is kind of a reasonable um, thing to interrogate, but not necessarily with, and, but something gets lost when sort of using, making that point in reaction to what was effectively like a fairly normal and post from someone who like, doesn't seem to be like that plugged into like internet discourse. <laughs> right, um, right. And it touches on something else that you were you, like throughout the essay. I think you sort of make the point and it was really interesting to think about it because I think at the beginning of this year, when we were doing episodes, uh, we talked about like the, the dilution of the main character and how um, the idea of the main character needs to sort of be rethought because just as like you used to sort of be the main character, you could be the main character for like a month and then a week or like, you know, maybe a couple of days. Now at best, you might be the main character for like a few hours. But yeah. <laughs> what you actually do represent in because of like the amount of content and the amount of discourse that is sort of being circulated through the system, um, you're much more like a catalyst, I think. You're like there so that people can react to you. And so yeah. the main character are actually like, the people's reactions. You know, there have been lots of times where I've sort of gone through threads and like on quote tweets, for example, you'll see people like going through the comments of this like particular post and like, it's remarkable how many people are like being really ableist about this point or, you know, actually kind of showing that, showing their sort of like, you know, racism with that stuff. Like it tends to sort of be much more addressed to certain sets of reactors um, mm -hmm. in order to kind of garner over reactors. And I was thinking that, about that in a broader sense, because when I think, you know, if you look at like the broader content economy, so you look at like, you know, TikToks that react to tweets and YouTube videos that react to TikToks or, you know, viral certain viral TikTok accounts or the viral Twitter accounts that like, whose whole like modus operandi and like becoming like huge a political force comes down to reacting to certain people on TikTok that they don't like, right? Like it sort yeah. of seems to be, like the stuff that you point out seems to much, be much more focused on 
uh, like the idea of reaction and who is reacting yeah. to what and why are they reacting to it. Right. And like, I think the important thing here is like, she's like, yes, it's obviously no, not everybody has the means to like sit for hours and talk in their garden with their husband. But right, like, yeah. her, like, that wasn't like the sin of the post. The sin was that she was kind of humble bragging, which is like a very low level internet sin. You know, it's like, that's not that doesn't warrant this kind of extreme discourse. And I think what these kind of things do is that, you know, when someone's maybe just like being a little bit annoying, or a little bit like, okay, you're being a little bit braggy here, whatever. People, like at least some people will always find a way to turn it into like so about something much more much more important when it's like yeah. really not. Like none of these things matter to us in our lives. Yeah. Um, and I think like it's become kind of like a sport to look through the comments of these kind of, of posts where you know there's going to be, you know, a little bit of like discourse, whatever. And find the craziest one and then make that whole thing. And then the story is about yeah, exactly. that one reply. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like the whole sort of, you know, everyone sort of replying to it is kind of like actually what they're trying to, maybe you'll kind of see the most extreme responses or the most kind of bizarre replies and be like, well, that's what actually everyone is saying. And this person right. just went far, far enough to do it. But even yeah. the people who are kind of like reacting in ways that I don't necessarily, like, you know, I may not necessarily agree with, actually, they think this thing rather than what they've actually said. Right. Yeah. They're just kind of like holding back for like, you know, maybe reputation. I, I don't know. I mean, Phoebe, I was also thinking about what you said before about content, just like, and like the thing about these big platforms is that you end up, you run into this problem of like content that was not supposed to be Mm. like in one Mm -hmm. sector of the internet ending up there. And so the reactions that you get are coming from people who who the content was never supposed to be there for anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that there's, yeah, I think that there's a lot, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot going on here. I think there's, um, there is, a significant feeling amongst particularly amongst like people who are kind of like addicted to posting people who you know like for for whom like app goes ping is like the it just you know gets their gets their heart gets their heart racing like everyone is like every like everyone is is uh chev chelios and every single person is just like oh ping ah okay cool um this is the only thing that's going to prevent my heart from stopping and a lot of people i think particularly on twitter Twitter have recently uh, deemed uh, creating discourses and sustaining discourses as being this like kind of toxic collaborative exercise because you can just roll your eyes and scroll past. There's like there's nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing that prevents you from doing that. But part of but part of it part of the enjoyment is building on the reaction um, with your own reaction and hoping other people react to your reaction as well. And there's a kind of uh, there's a kind of frisson in the background of it, so people are thinking not just um, not just I am enjoying giving this person a kicking, um, but at some point in the future there may well be a point where I receive a similar kicking, and so there's a kind of there's a kind of odd, almost perverse energy to that, and and I do think that it's very very strange the 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 leap that people are willing to go to in terms of in terms of the the terms in which they in the terms in which they dunk because like yeah if you were if you were just speaking to people like in the pub or something and someone said something that you thought was a bit daft and you called them like a scum sucking road whore as a result <laughs> you would pretty soon have not 
many people left who were willing to speak to you because you are sort <laughs> of pretty well known to be like a bit of a bit of a character, shall we say, in the worst possible way. But I yeah. think that I think that what is interesting from um both from reading your essay, Rebecca, and from uh having a look at the posts on that thread is how many of them were engaged with uh what sorry, what were about what ridiculous things get described as being ableist or examples of ableism and I think that we've talked about this a bit before and I'm interested to see what you think about this Rebecca because you were saying at the you were saying at the start that you were suddenly a bit like actually what am I contributing to am I just inviting Mm -hmm. people to 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 have a pop at disabled people um and I think an awful lot of it is down to uh is down to the the utter disintegration of any fiction that we might have had that there was any kind of ethics of collective care in wider in sort of wider society so like issues of issues of access issues of um issues of public health um all of these, all of these things, issues of you know of kind of survival money, all of these things have just been utterly just chucked by the wayside. And I'm sure this is the case in the states, but it's been the case here over a kind of over a sort of process of decades. Of so now, if you are disabled in in this country, um, pretty much every piece of support that you might once upon a time have been have more or less taken for granted that you would be able to that you would be able to access has it's 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 all gone yeah and these are these are gigantic truths which are basically impossible to face up to and impossible to interrogate without without falling into this kind of abyss of depression about it because if you are if you are disabled and you need government support whether that's with getting around whether that's with home help or uh, or a personal assistant uh, whether that whether that's just just with trying to kind of live your life with some kind of some kind of dignity and some kind of joy it's basically been entirely shut up shut off to you and because the way that di- the discourse the dreaded discourse particularly on twitter is entirely like a kind of flock of birds so it wheels one way and wheels the other so a couple of people were a bit annoying about um about like COVID restrictions and masking. And so an awful lot of people have taken the line, which I think is not great, which is, oh my God, you're being so you're being so annoying when you talk about how you're still having to shield, when you're talking about how you've been, there was a kind of brief period of time when people were having to live like a lot of disabled people have to live. And therefore, um, and therefore, uh, people were suddenly thinking oh okay maybe we should be rethinking about how society looks after sick people maybe we should be rethinking sick pay maybe we should be thinking about uh community social structures because this is affecting us all and then as soon as it stopped affecting people who weren't disabled then it's true disabled people were utterly left out, utterly left out of the conversation and, and utterly left behind and there's this odd idea where people say oh well you should forget about covid we've moved on and I'm not saying that you should live the rest of your life in fear of in fear of an illness which is now very well managed by vaccines. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is I don't I don't think that we 
should forget actually that what happens in these allegedly advanced rich societies is that when a catastrophe happens, there is a gigantic wealth transfer, um, elderly, disabled, um, and any kind of vulnerable person is basically deemed to be more or less disposable uh, according to the according to the whims of the economy. Uh, nobody has uh, nobody has given any kind of in, in, like interest. Uh, any kind of interest expressed any interest in completely uh overhauling how people think about whether or not you should go into work when you're sick whether or not um whether or not uh particularly long-term chronic illnesses should be reframed and people who have them shouldn't just be kind of just left in their houses to molder and these are just, and I don't think we should forget that. I don't think we should forget that the that the answer to it apparently was not to put more money into the health service, was not to put more money uh, into sick pay, and was not to help people to stay at home and quarantine. We shouldn't forget that that the solution was for middle class people to stay in their houses and for working class people to to die in order to in order to like bring them their treats. I don't think we should forget that. Actually, I think that I think that's something which. It's very important if there's going to be any kind of any kind of proper confrontation with with power. I don't think we should forget mm. how we were treated in during this crisis. And the problem is is that there's very little that any of us can do about this stuff. Mm. So it all gets sublimated into the just the the dumbest chat possible led by noisy people noisy annoying people quite a lot of whom are quite a lot of whom think that they are not just the main character but the absolute center of the solar system some of whom like to pretend that stuff like ADHD is sort of on a par with uh with significant either like physical or like physical or learning disabilities not saying that ADHD is not Jesus. Not saying that ADHD is not significant. <laughs> I'm I personally just, so offended that you said I just, that, PB. I just, <laughs> I just mean that um, people who have sought, who have been brought up on online, like tagging as being a way to present yourself to a kind of imagined audience, whether that's audience audience is kind of hostile or positive. Um, so you have to come up. You have to come up with your labels, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with disability activism. It has nothing whatsoever to do with access, and it has nothing to do whatsoever with the fact that over the last couple of years we have seen governments across the world effectively mm. decide to let their disabled populations die. That's like it's got nothing to do with anything and i think that's i think that we've got to be careful about leaning too far into oh look this disabled person says something stupid let's dunk on them but we should also remember that these kinds of voices they blot out the sun for one thing and they also are very instrumental in an extremely damaging uh, damaging discursive trend where particularly particularly serious mental illnesses are deemed to be sort of not real 
and definitely definitely don't ever make you do anything bad and and I understand where that comes from sorry I realize I'm rambling here I understand why that I understand where this comes from because um stuff like uh stuff like the uh like someone with a mental illness is much more likely to be a victim of violence than they are to uh, than they are to carry out an act of violence on someone else. Like I understand where, where kind of almost like kind of mantra-like uh, truisms like that come from. I, I'm not saying that I don't understand the point of them, and the point of them was to sort of destigmatize. But it's almost as if, from a kind of online discursive point of view, uh, not a truism. You, you know what I mean? Observations, idioms. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I really am. I really am very sick, and it's the end of the year. <laughs> Please forgive me for uh, not remembering words. Aphorisms. That's the word I was thinking of. I didn't even know. So there you go. You could have got. You could okay. have fooled me. I could have just got away <laughs> with that. I could have just got away with that. Uh, I, like, I understand where the need for these for these aphorisms comes from because because it's sort of part of the kind of linguistic destigmatizing project. But a linguistic destigmatizing project actually is meaningless without serious um, material changes around it it doesn't matter if you stop calling someone an idiot like that's like that that doesn't do anything that's like it's like sharing an infographic it's it's all meaningless mm-hmm. um unless there is some kind of foundation and if you destigmatize too far then you end up negating and denying accommodation and access needs that's sort of what ends up happening so if you say well such and such a condition is not an excuse for racism it's not an excuse for homophobia it's not an excuse for misogyny then what you end up doing and i know that that's not i know that this is not the intention but you paradoxically end up creating a situation where people with really really serious conditions that often cause extremely horrible behavior and also make them vulnerable to certain kinds of conspiratorial thinking and make them vulnerable to um, certain kinds of you know kind of cult or cult grooming really um so you end up uh, you end up shutting out the people who are most need and most in need of, of societal help because you're insisting that oh well this isn't a symptom of it because for some reason you've you've participated in this project to to functionally kind of sanitize all disability and particularly particularly uh particularly mental uh, mental health stuff and it's very very difficult when you are living in this kind of grim this kind of grim system which is so thoroughly rigged against disabled people it's it's not that easy to to judge what the insane reactive sort of childish self-involved things are and what the you know what this is actually not a bad point I just haven't thought about it like this and really just posting constantly about this stuff is all is at the moment it's all that people it's all that people have so you can so you can see why how this gets kind of expressed through individuals bad personalities like that that sort of I think that certainly make like certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Like I'm not I'm I'm far from perfect in this. I've definitely said, oh for God's sake, when I've seen a when I've seen something about say someone saying, 
uh, expect saying that writers should read is is ableist because, <sighs> like of course, like of course, like we like like we've like we've all done it, but and I think that it's I think it's bad. I think it's all bad. That's the that's the, that's my that's, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's, the that's my that's I my think... final that's my final observation. I think it's all One bad. Day... Yeah, one day we'll make infographics of you and it'll be like, I think it's bad, Phoebe Roy, 2022. Yeah. Why is it bad and how can, how can you help? I'm really, really sorry. I've just been kind of just... No, I think, I mean, my, I, I my think thoughts, there's like a lot of... On this. I think like, because it's definitely one of those subjects that I think, you know, kind of lends... Because you, 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 you basically unpacked, I think, a lot of my internal monologue whenever I sort of like uh see one of these like see one of these kind of posts or even if i'm sort of like trigger fingers like or you know the doing the trigger sort of like quote tweet thing and then i think about okay well what did you just do and what did you just contribute to and like was it necessary and all those types of things um but it is like the problem that i think that rebecca in your essay you identify quite succinctly and one of the reasons why the idea of like even sort of having fun online kind of feels like a very extremely difficult endeavor um, part of that just being sort of like the surveillance component, but the other part also just being like, what if you are sort of like committing transgressions that you're not aware of, but also just like, because all of it is also based so experientially as well. So the idea that if you're not capturing, like, it only takes like a couple of people who are like this observation or this joke that you've made doesn't sort of reflect my broader and much more kind of hurtful experience of it and therefore you should really rethink like what you've said and it's not the case of like but you know and for me it's like i i've never like whenever it sort of happened to me i haven't really ever pushed back on it because i just don't really see the point and i'm trying to like be much more sort of understanding of like experiences that i don't know but at the same time it does kind of feel like it makes communicating really difficult to relate to i was thinking about something that like rain fisher kwan had said i think in one of her substack essays but i think she said it a few times as well where there comes a point where like you are online so much that or like you know you, when you're sort of like producing work online and communicating online um <clears throat> that when you're sort of talking in real life you talk in such a way that you're also trying to like avoid these hurdles that you sort of see and have experience with on the internet as well which makes communicating generally really really difficult um because you're not just communicating with one person you are like doing so by but also being aware of like just the deep level of sort of like surveilling that is being put on you and i wondered whether you had any thoughts on like that and how you think that sort of impacted or influenced the way that people post and like understand posts now yeah i mean i think i can totally relate to that i think i being, you know, online is it's harder to have fun and post what we want when, you know, we're you we're we're just like kind of ingrained to to read what we're about to say in the worst possible faith. And so mm -hmm. like that's not a very effective way to communicate in any, you know, part of your life. But it's also like I you know, I will say it's like I know when people complain like, well, I have you have to watch what you say now. And it's like, okay, but think about like what you know, like women, people of color, disabled people, queer people, like we've always had to watch what we say. And like, <laughs> because for, you know, for whatever reasons, um, just like living in a world that isn't necessarily like built for us, you know, you have to like be more careful than just like, a dude who, you know, has never once had to thought, think about what he said before he said it. So I think there's, there's an element of that, but then there's, you know, I, I think like when people talk about, it's really hard to talk about this without sounding like a, you know, anti-woke, whatever, but I, I don't think that they were doing it in that way. It's sort of like, yeah, 
it's and I and I just try to think about like people it's not really a problem as much for me in the real world because it's so rare that you meet someone in real life that you're choosing to be in the same place with it's very rare that someone is going to take something that you say and just completely extrapolate like the worst most awful possible yeah. reasoning out of it you know and so what i try to do is like when someone is taking something on twitter to like a, a very like bizarre extreme in my opinion I'm like, regardless of whether, you know, whether they're disabled or whether they're, you know, really, really underprivileged or or something, it, it takes a certain kind of person to like, you know, tweet kind of insane shit. And they're pro- that probably means they're like pretty lonely, pretty angry. And, you know, maybe rightfully so. They're, they're probably angry at the world for all kinds of reasons that make total sense. And they just want the world to be like a little bit kinder to them. And I have total empathy for that. And so Mm -hmm. I try to like, I try to remind myself that when someone is really, really angry at me for something that I perceive as like not that big of a deal, and most other people are also not angry at me, I'm like, all right, this person is maybe going through something not in their total like right state of mind, whatever. And it's, it's, it just doesn't ultimately matter because that's one person not like people that I respect and care about don't agree with that person doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong, but it just doesn't have a huge bearing on my life. And I think that's important to realize about these kind of conversations where we're like, we're searching for the, you know, the, the most unhinged response when the the unhinged responses have no bearing on our lives and mm-hmm. don't really matter in the, like, in where people are actually making things happen, which is probably not on Twitter. So. Yeah. Oh, it's, all, it's it's definitely not on Twitter. I mean, can like can like can you imagine being in like an IRL organizing space? Yeah. And sort of some and sort of someone says like, "Oh, I'm really excited for Pancake Day. I love pancakes." And like leaping on top of them, like kind of. Do you do you understand that some people have deathly allergic, like deathly allergic to mm. eggs? Right? Do you? Do you? <laughs> yeah. You um, haven't met my you haven't met my mate Steve saying it all the time. <laughs> Oh, Steve. oh, I see. Yeah, I know. I get it. I, get it. I was going to no, say, I no, know I all mean, your mates. You haven't got a mate called Steve. No, I do have a mate called Stu, who is becoming more <laughs> and more online. And it does worry me sometimes because sometimes I'll meet up with him. And I really like hanging out with him primarily because he is not, he never really was like an online kind of guy. But he has spent a lot of time showing me like, the sort of like anti-woke kind of videos. And I've had to really sit down with him and be like, okay, I didn't really want to do this on a weekend. However, we're going to break this down bit by bit and tell mm-hmm. and figure out where it's all coming from, Stu, because I can't, I can't let you go down this road. Um, very much like a blessing and a curse to be like this sort of like plugged in. There was actually something that I wanted to, wanted to read, uh, wanted to read you by just like a kind of just a sort of paragraph from it. Um, yeah, sure. Which I thought, because I thought it was, I thought it was very good. It was um, by um, by uh, Becca Rothfeld. It was from her Substack. Um, mm. She's a very, very good critic. She is very offline, um, and she wrote, she wrote something. Um, she wrote something which I thought was interesting in the aftermath of. I don't know if either of you saw this, um, but the philosopher Agnes Callard made a post about how she takes away her kids' Halloween candy. I saw the post. Yes. I didn't know who it was from. I didn't know who she yeah. was, but I do and, remember the Halloween candy post. And people, and um, because um, people 
have a very, very strange attitude, I think, to to Twitter where things are simultaneously extremely real and also a kind of interactive video game laid on for their benefit at like at the same time. And people reported her to child services, um, which, you know, she is extremely, she's fortunate that she is a, um, she's a privileged middle-class person and therefore is probably almost certainly not going to kind of suffer from that in any kind of brief way, other than the like extreme distress that it must cause you. But it's very, it's very, very worth noting the extent to which, uh, the extent to which serious real world consequences not just like you know via via the media not just sort of you know ending up like with your face all over the daily mail or whatever but that real world consequences can be brought to bear on people on people online in a very very irresponsible way and i think that if you part- if you participate in a great day of quote tweeting i think that i don't think it's insane to say that you should have some bear some semblance of responsibility for for how yeah. that for how that then plays out um and i don't know anything about agnes callard she's not somebody with whom i'm familiar with um a lot of people were uh, conflating their distaste for her academic work with how it's extremely acceptable that she was being sent death threats for making a kind of you Jeez. know cute remark about her kid like i think that's yeah i think that's like pretty suspect i mean like but like for all i know she is an extremely suspect person with extremely suspect <laughs> views and her work is, is suspect but we have to talk about what level of punishment for somebody not caring for somebody's academic work or for caring for someone's work full stop like what level of punishment is like even kind of remotely proportionate um for the for these crimes and um right so it's basically she's basically making a kind of observa- uh, basically making an observation um, about how uh, people pretend that there is no that there are no actual real world material consequences from thousands of people yelling at you online. And Becca is arguing in this in this essay that what well, not only are there because um, people quite unthinkingly uh, call upon call upon kind of uh real world apparatuses of punishment like i'm thinking of the the girl who seems to have made something up about an uber driver and then people were found out that she'd made something up about the uber driver and were working out where she lived and posting her address and sending her death threats which to me did not seem like an appropriate right appropriate response um to what to what she'd done um and Becca wrote something about it, which I thought was very good. Um, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to just going to read a section. Um, so Twitter mobbings present a sort. This is from Becca. Present a sort of collection action problem. They're not of the usual kind where people should cooperate but don't have individual incentive to do so. Here, isolated behaviour would be morally inno- innocuous, but the combined effect of a large enough number of individually innocuous actions becomes morally heinous. I think most people mistakenly reason as if they are the only person posting in response to someone's ill-advised tweet. They assume they're just one of a small handful of mild hecklers. They're inclined to think that someone with an ill-advised tweet will only have to confront mild, emotionally manageable backlash. Quit complaining, they think. You tweeted that you'd took your kids candy. You deserve to read 10 to 15 tweets calling you a big meanie. But they would reason differently, or if they were asked, do you deserve thousands of insults because you took your kids' Halloween candy? 
People who think it's no big deal to field a critical response on, online misunderstand that each isolated instance of heckling takes on a different emotional significance in the context of mass heckling. Agnes is unusually resilient, but we can't arrange our society and its norms around the expectation that people become so resilient that they'd be fine in similar circumstances. No one, resilient or not, should have to, should have to endure a barrage of insults that in aggregate are devastating, even if they'd be fine in isolation. Um, in conclusion, Twitter is awful, people are awful, everything's awful and we're all doomed. <laughs> um, yeah, I just thought it was a kind of interesting, sort of interesting way yeah. of looking at it. And I think that there's a lot of very profoundly antisocial um assumptions around um around the kind of the, the the posting tendency an awful lot of it seems to kind of be rooted in a kind of a oh well you should see the sorts of things we said to each other on the forums back in the day you know and it's like well okay but maybe you shouldn't have been acting like that on the forums has that occurred to you <laughs> has that occurred well, to you as being something which you should yeah. maybe think about well, this is actually like a good because there was like a kind of before we sort of get on to post, there was a question I really wanted to ask you, Becca, which was actually like because I, I know that like towards the tail end of like this year, and especially considering all the Elon Musk like takeover stuff and the fact that Twitter is derailing, um, and took a big L by uh, locking me out of my account today, um, <laughs> like the much broader question is very much just you know. So, I, so someone just before we sort of got onto recording, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who works at like a newspaper in this country and also sort of is reckoning with his sort of like Twitter addiction and kind of what to like make of it, etc. And he was like, I'm not sure what the alternatives are because like, I don't really want to go onto Mastodon, but I'm not sure why. And like, I don't actually know whether I want to like go on Discord or whatever. And it sort of occurred to me that like one of the problems here is the assumption like that a lot of tech people want to make, and I guess the optimists want to make, is that actually like this kind of, you know, social like posting is genuinely a good thing. And what we need is to sort of have platforms that like are working functional and can protect people and so on. Um, and in theory, like it sort of feels like, and especially when we spoke to Alex Hearn about this, it feels in theory that like places like Mastodon <laughs> do solve some of these problems in the sense that like it kind of allows you to sort of like insulate from kind of, you know, you, you're not sort of part of a broader Mastodon community or anything like you are very much within your own circles and you have much more control over like what you kind of have access to and what you don't. And, you know, the kind of democratic mechanisms that are sort of built into it. But like one of the challenges that this faces is that it's presenting a new, a, a kind of not even a new form of posting, but like a very old form it's very much a kind of like, remember when posting was good and remember when you enjoyed being <laughs> on forums, let's go back to that. And my, and the questions that I have, like number one is like the point that Phoebe made, which was like, uh, were the forum days actually really that good? Or, you know, are we just sort of over romanticizing them because now what we have is worse. But the second thing is this like, well, the kind of monopolization of social media platforms and these tech companies means that like, we have this kind of broader crisis of imagination in terms of like what the internet what we actually want the internet to do and what we like, do we even want it as sort of like a communicative mechanism? And I think like part of your essay was trying to sort of like address that question without sort of saying it directly, but it does pose this question about like, you know, the fact that we can't really have fun on the internet anymore. And even like talking about like the, our favorite discourses online is sort of a, an exhausting experience in and of itself. Does that point to this broader idea that actually we are rethinking, we are, we're rethinking whether we really want platforms like Twitter, who for the most part still would like as many users on it to sort of see as much stuff as possible um, and communicate in ways that are sort of directed by that type of, in, in, like by that type of impetus. Mm. 
Yeah, no, I think that's such a important question, especially as we're sort of watching the crumbling of Twitter in real time. But like, obviously, like, I don't think Twitter is going to just like disappear from the internet. But you know, it just like, whatever, Elon Musk is a fucking idiot. But I mean, (laughs) so who knows how long it will be like even useful. But I do think that there's I mean, what Twitter is, is ultimately like a centralized discourse machine. And I think for better or for worse, they're should be a workable centralized place where people can post and I can see things that I would never have seen before. I think that's done like pretty incredible things for democracy in general. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think that there is a hunger for more gate kept like place to have conversations with, with people that, you know, you, they're, they're still strangers, but like you at least kind of have some commonality rather than just being like Twitter users, you know, like I, I do, I think that, you know, people are just going to have better experiences there, not necessarily ones that might like, you know, alter their way of thinking or turn them into sort of like evil posting, like maniacs, like, like Twitter does. Um, and and at the same time, like that that in itself is gonna kind of weed out a lot of people who like you know maybe don't like I I just can like see a world in which yeah like I go to the internet for like my little groups or whatever, but I don't really spend that much time. It's not like Twitter where it feels like you have to be there, like you have to see what's going on. You wake up and you're like, what are people talking about on Twitter? It's it's more like I can I can engage with this for a while and maybe that'll like have a really beneficial effect on people who are like too online. You know, it's like maybe they'll, you know, realize that this is the Internet is, you know, can be for fun and it can be for organizing. But it isn't like the be all end all of like what people are talking about, what matters, et cetera. Um, Because I think Twitter has a way of making us believe that like what's happening here is the most important thing. But often what's happening there is like people are getting rewarded for engaging in bad faith with other people's like tweets. And it's just, it's like a never ending cycle of just people either piling on or spamming or, or just like, Hey, look at this type of guy. You know, it's like that, that kind of ability to sort of make one thing so important. And often it's like a culture war thing. I think that is like pretty disgusting, like after effects. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Also, I think that because I think what you're what you're talking about here is like one of the things that we've basically been trying to talk about ever since we started this started this show is that it's it's quite a lot of it are problems of scale. Yeah. Um, and like, and you know, obviously, I'm where I'm wary of romanticizing the forum days, and I actually think it's much less the case that it was low scale and more the case that it was a closed community that you had to be a member of like in order to in order to kind of engage with it or know what was going on it wasn't it wasn't so it didn't have such a kind of significant effect on say search engine results like if you if you like name search or image search somebody who is a kind of who is a kind of you know high traffic twitter user you will find hundreds of their tweets whether those are screenshotted whether whether those are just sort of lit or whether those just links it's all so publicly available and so public public facing in a way that in a way that forums never were and i do think that nothing else quite takes the place of twitter but then again i think it's important to have 
a serious think and I don't know quite how this is how we like where we would start with it but it's important I I think to have a serious think about um how how the kind of scale of Twitter how something centralized that's supposed to be for everyone to go for everything for their commentary for their news for their jokes for everything for every kind of possible online thing that you might want there is a kind of error of Twitter for it and we have to think about how that kind of scale is accomplished. And I think we also have to think about what resources are required, whether that is um, the people who sort of physically build it or the people who participate in it and whether, and whether those resources can ever be responsibly wielded. Um, and this seems to be something which... Um, has become like as ever more ever more urgent over the last little bit when uh when um it became clear that um elon was going to be forced to buy twitter one of the things that i said about it was that it seemed pretty clear to me that he was buying himself a media organ that he was not incorrectly he was seeing he was seeing twitter as an arm of the media that if he purchased he would have um, a kind of deciding editorial line over and it was also somewhere where an awful lot of challenges to uh, he and his other kind of ruling class compatriots sort of took place so if you buy it you can shut that you can shut that shit down yeah. and also the something which I'm not sure has been discussed enough is that we talk a lot about how Twitter sets the news agenda and, and and the far right absolutely rely on it to be able to get their talking points into the news media. Like it's not it's not that long ago that they couldn't organize anything, not for shit. They were stuck in their like weird little like like weird little meeting places and having to kind of do a kind of complicated series of kind of handshakes before they could find each other. And now not only can they find each other, but they have something which they can use to get their agenda into, into the news media, which gets lapped up by a mixture of, it's a mixture of either credulous journalists or people who are either freelance or in very precarious staff jobs. And they're very, very busy and, they're very, very overwhelmed. And the idea that any journalist now has the kind of time to check into every single story that they see on Twitter and to look into every single person who has been widely retweeted just to make sure that they're not a Nazi. Like, I think that a lot of journalists could stand to do a bit more due diligence with some stuff. But I don't think it's I don't think it's realistic when people are saying, "Oh, shouldn't you have known that this person said this terrible thing in 2017?" It's like only you know that guy. Come on, come on, man. Nobody knows that other than the people who were there watching it. Um, and I think we have to think about whether or not that kind of that kind of scale repeated is actually delib is actually desirable if if there is going to be something which takes the place of Twitter, because I don't, I don't see what, I don't see what could do. I, I really, really don't. It's like, mm -hmm. it's a, 
it's it's raised a lot it's raised a lot it's raised a lot of questions but certainly over the last little mm. bit when a lot of because a lot of uh, Elon's super fans have been saying oh no 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 so like Twitter was like a kind of anti-Musk engine so he's like deliberately breaking the code base it's like no he just doesn't know what he's fucking doing <laughs> he just doesn't know how to run a company and that's why every decision he's been he's made is this really interesting kind of speed run in like learning why the decisions were made in the first place so every single thing he's done has been like okay well we obviously don't need that oh no oh that's why we need that oh okay fine no no i get that now i get i get that mm. fine um, what you're saying is if you break the two-factor authentication, a small-time podcaster in South London won't be able to access his account and make his job very frustrating. Call um, yourself small-time if be, you like. That, don't call yeah, that, me small-time. We're not small-time. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't accept the small-time designation. No, I mean, in this, yeah, in this specific instance and imagining he is deliberately trying to uh, stop me from uh, from uh, doing doing part of my job uh, because yeah. I, I, cause, because he must have detected uh, my sarcasm in one of my replies to him uh, using his sarcasm Presumably. Presumably, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. Sorry, I feel, I feel I interrupted. Rebecca, was there anything you wanted to say to that before I? Because I'm, I'm just thinking we need to just like get to the post before yeah, no. we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's get to the posts. Should we get to the posts? Yeah, let's get to the posts. Why not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It. So let's, so let's just like round up Ben by talking about some posts. Uh, yeah, let's get to the posts. I, we, we have like a few. So just as, just to kind of like top off, um, a lot of the posts that kind of are sort of definitely end of year type of the discourses that you remember are in Rebecca's piece and worth like looking at. There are links to those. So these are just like my favorites that I remembered. But to start us off with Rebecca, um, you gave us two TikToks, uh, which is always very, very nice. Um, one that I thought that we could start off with, which just because it's quite fun and hits all our interest boxes is, um, so this is a TikTok. Uh, it's by uh, Fabergé Queen. And it's called POV. You're watching a workshop for Lana Del Rey jukebox musical, and you're based in the north of England. Um, right. I'm going to watch this now with the sound up slightly. Uh, I'm going to watch it. Okay, Dev, just cut this bit out when we're watching this. Very charming. He has like like three other like at least like maybe four others like doing. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> doing different characters. We'll have the links to this as well, but I sort of want to describe it as like so this is the first time I've seen this. Uh, this is just like a guy with a northern accent, uh, but he's wearing just like a pair of kind of baggy purple jogging bottoms uh, hoodie, and he's singing in his bedroom. He's singing Lana Del Rey song in his bedroom, um, and it's just charming. There's nothing like I don't I don't really have any sort of like broader take on it other than it's a very fun and charming oh, video, and he seems like a nice guy. That's really charming. I because I've been trying to find I because I can't remember the name of the account, and I've been trying to find it with increasingly certifiable search terms and like if anyone's got any got any intel, intel on this i'd really like to know but there's um there's a tiktok which is run by two young black guys who do like like nature walks mm -hmm. and it's supposed to like it's supposed to kind of like interfere with the idea that like an interest in the nature in nature and outdoor activities and like that particularly like the natural world and particularly uh, particularly stuff like how kind of climate change is having an effect on wildlife is sort of has sort of been framed as a kind of overwhelmingly white kind of middle class sort of sort of hobby almost and it's sort of trying to kind of it's trying to kind of react to and kind of correct that a little bit and it's just mm. these it's just these two these two guys and they are 
absolutely delightful and yeah. it's them going on nature walks and filming animals and talking to the animals and, sounds lovely and if you <laughs> and listeners if you know what this tiktok account is called can you please send it to me so i can find it because that's been my that's been my favorite favorite tiktok account of this year there's like there's one which is just like they found this like little snake and they're like discussing whether or not they can pick the snake up without annoying it and so they decide they decide to pick it up and the snake is like tolerating it and they're sort of like saying oh look at this look at look at look at this little guy and uh, and it's true the snake is a little guy can't deny it Mm -hmm. so yeah so so them (laughs) i like them I really like these two, Rebecca. I think they're great. <laughs> so yeah, so the, <laughs> they're delightful. Well, yeah. So the Lana Del Rey one, um, I just, I, uh, you, might, you can cut this out, but I, no, I realized that uh, their pronouns are they them. Uh, so okay. uh, just the, so the the Lana Del Rey one is this person doing um, <laughs> a, like POV. You're you're uh, doing a workshop for a jukebox musical based on Lana Del Rey set in the north of England, and it's just like these kind of like crudely kind of crudely designed characters uh, singing Lana Del Rey songs in the most like, like stereotypical Northern accent. And it's just so fucking funny. Um, Highly recommend their, um, their TikTok is Fabergé queen. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And my, and my second one uh, that this one actually went viral on Twitter, like more viral on Twitter than it did on TikTok. And it's top of mind for me because I actually have a story coming out tomorrow about like the rise of like day in my life TikToks. And this one is a parody of them. Uh, And it is one of like my favorite TikToks to ever exist. Um, And I interviewed the guy. He's super funny. But yeah, if you want to watch it, uh, it's a little bit long, but it's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen like set because I wasn't actually sure because it starts off being like really kind of seemingly genuine. I've I've never been to Chicago before. Um, but it, as as it sort of goes on, it just kind of like gets more and more bizarre. You have yeah. like <clears throat> kind of big bugs and the, the kind of fake dogs and the cat. Yeah, and like maybe you guys don't have like the same references for like this type of guy in the UK. But like what I can say about it is sort of like it starts out like my my weekend as a twenty eight year old in Chicago, and it's just like this guy who looks like really, really cool tattoos, whatever, and he's like. The beginning is like, well, today was like mental awareness day at my company. So we, I went, went up for brunch and cocktails with my friend and, and, you know, you see all that. And then, you know, increasingly he's like, then we went to like the museum of ice cream to take pictures. And then we like stopped in and got a margarita tower and like hot wings or whatever. It's just like, okay, like we get it that you have like money and like you're young and you yeah, hang out yeah. with your friends all the time. Cool. But <laughs> Over the course, like it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out that this was actually like a joke. And like he told yeah. me that he took all of the footage from other people's uh, TikToks. Oh my God. Yeah. And he what? had seen one. <laughs> uh, he had seen one that uh, he was just like, I think this, like he had, it was basically like a parody of one specific guy, but it mm. applies to so many of these other types of videos where it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. they have this faux humble braggy tone where it's like, mm, then I met up with my friend Lauren and we just like vibed. And then we like <laughs> got a really expensive dinner at like Carbone and it was like really chill. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's this is would, so interesting yeah. as well because here I associate that kind of stuff with like a very particular kind of ultra normie. Um, yeah, and there's a really and there's a really good a really good example of this um, that I saw like just the other day, um, where the stuff about Elon Musk's takeover of, of 
Twitter has filtered through to one of my ordinary person, um, one of my ordinary person group chats. And one of them, like, just said really idly, does anyone know what's happening with, like, Elon Musk buying Twitter? And I was like, oh, you stupid bitch. Hope you like no paragraphs. Um, <laughs> and uh, explained it in, like, quite a lot of quite a lot of detail. And then, like, they found out about the, the poll when he was asking if he should, like, stand down. And they were like, oh, yeah, like, obviously, like, everyone's got to, like, vote yes. And I was like, it's obviously funnier to vote no. God, we are so different. Um, yeah. we, are so, we, are, we, are, we are just so different. Um, and I was actually thinking about this because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about trying to write something about the divisions caused between people who spend a lot of time on social media and the people who don't and, like, the kind of different social distortions that kind of take place for you if you are a kind of an online person trying to kind of engage with an offline person and kind of and sort of vice versa like I know that a lot of people who I know have said that they find dating very difficult because a lot of people don't really get their sense of humor and I'm always a bit like is it that or is it that you're like talking in memes to a person in real life like which like <laughs> mm -hmm. is that is like like, is that it? And I think a lot of people don't realize how how edgy their humor appears to a lot of people, a lot of kind of non, just like kind of non-brain disease people. Um, and I think that that I think that that's like interesting with the um, with the kind of the day in the life, because like I absolutely associate that with a certain kind of person who is very much like kind of I'm having just a really like wholesome day yeah like, I'm taking myself out on like I'm taking yeah, myself I'm... out on a date I'm going to the spa I'm going for lunch I work hmm. in tech etc um yeah. and you have to have I suppose it's the kind of it's a kind of toxic innocence I suppose yeah because I know exactly what you mean yeah. because it's very <laughs> ignorant about how most people live for one thing right. yeah and it's very much going into it not making thousands of calculations about the potential hostile yeah, exactly, reaction yeah. right, right and it's not buried under eight layers of irony but it's not a good kind of innocence either because it is so <laughs> relies on yeah it so relies on sort of multi layers of unexamined privilege other than that which you share on an Instagram inf yeah. infographic. I um, I was gonna say it I was gonna say it feels like a different sort of type of being very online because I think we wanted to do an episode on this for a while. Maybe Rebecca, like we'd love like, you know, when we do do this, it'd be cool to have you on to like chat about it. Um but the whole like day in the life videos, uh mm -hmm. which I've been like really fascinated with for like a long time. Like I've seen them on YouTube a lot and then obviously when they sort of go viral on TikTok um and like the ones that i've seen and the ones that we were going to talk about when we were planning on doing the episode earlier this year were ones that were like very very kind of highly curated they were ones from people who like okay this is someone who clearly spends like a lot of time on tiktok and is someone who is kind of like trying to they're basically a type of creator who merges their professional life with like their sort of creator side hustle but with the intention of like eventually making the creator side hustle like their full-time thing 
Yes. So it's very much yeah. like using their sort of like professional McKinsey job or whatever is like the backdrop for building their sort of extended universe, like for lack of a better right. term. Um, and so like they're very aware of like, you know, okay, when I put this out, here is like my intended audience, but also because I am using TikTok, like it might go viral in places where it shouldn't go viral, but actually like having the haters sort of dunk on me for having lots of delicious like brunches in my big, like, you know, uh, like Seattle office or whatever, that actually might be good for me. And like, again, it's very much, it goes back to like some of the things that you were saying in your essay, which is ultimately it then becomes less about the video and much more about how people are reacting to said video. Um, and, you know, less about like the person creating it and much more about like the broader discourses around, you know, class and privilege and race and, you know, disability and stuff like that. Um, and that sort of seems to be, you can sort of see some of that aesthetic in this video that you've posted, even though it is very much like a parody. But what I was going to say was that like, I don't know if I would necessarily classify the people making this type of stuff as normies rather than just like the way that they are kind of producing online content is for like different types of audiences, which is also why it can kind of feel perhaps a bit jarring when you spend a lot of your time on a platform where even if you kind of say that something good happened to you, like, you know, that whole thing that was that, you know, trigger warning joy. Remember that thing that <laughs> yeah. like, we bring up every so often? Personal joy. Personal joy. <laughs> like, you know, it's, so it kind of comes off as a little bit like, cause you know, I, I've said this before, like when happy thing, you know, when good things have happened to me, like I'm probably not going to post that publicly. Right. I'll probably post it in like, you know, my Twitter circle like at most because I am genuinely very terrified of like, well, what if people <laughs> yell at me for like doing something nice or having something nice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and with like these guys, honestly, yeah. I don't, I don't care. Like I genuinely that's well, that's don't care. You're a stronger soul than I am. That's why Elon won't <laughs> challenge you. That's why Elon is scared of me. He won't even send his, <laughs> he won't even send his mum after me. That's how scared of me he is. You don't even yeah, need no. to do two factor authentication. <laughs> I, cause I, I've certainly noticed this and like Rebecca, I don't know if you've noticed this as well. Um, I've started to be able to tell really, really easily who is an, who is a writer that is very online and who is a writer that is basically offline. Um, and I don't just mean people who write opinion pieces or comment pieces. I mean, people who write fiction, people who write TV, um, <laughs> you can tell when someone has made the thousands of the thousands of calculations about all the <laughs> possible ways in which they could be misread yep and um and i really don't like tv shows where the dialogue feel feels like tweets i really really don't i've got, i've very much lost my patience for anything which i feel either either reads like it's trying to kind of generate twitter discourse or um, is designed to work as a kind of reaction reaction gif. Like I saw one the other day. Oh god, it made me so angry. Um, have either of you been watching Netflix Wednesday? No. Uh, oh my god, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I've I've I was really sick a couple of weeks ago, and I had it on the background. So you just sort of watched it while sitting. Yeah, yeah, I like while scrolling it. while scrolling yeah. with it on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like TV should like TV. If, it, if you can't make something which is interesting enough to put your phone down, then what are you even doing? That's my, that's, 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 that's my position. That's why I've started to try to watch things that have subtitles to force me just to watch them. Because otherwise, if I look away for one second, I've lost track of what's <laughs> happening. Um, but um, 
So my position on the new Wednesday thing is first, it's weird for me to have a position because I'm in my 30s and this is for kids. So <laughs> disregard everything I have to say about it from from that. But second, the original Adams Family films, the two original ones from the from the mid 90s are perfect pieces of popular culture. They don't need to be messed with. They don't need to be updated. They don't need to be fucked with. There is no Morticia other than Angelica Houston. There is no Wednesday other than Christina Ricci. And there is no Gomez other than Raul Julia. And I'm absolutely refusing to accept this non-canon treatment of the sacred source material. So that's point two. Point three, in the first Adam's Family film, there is a... um, there's a vignette when Wednesday is um, asked if she wants to buy some Girl Scout cookies and she says, are they made from real Girl Scouts? Which is perfect. That's a perfect line. It's a perfect joke. And then, in, and then I saw a reaction gif from the new one where someone says something to her about Girl Scouts and she says, I eat Girl Scouts for breakfast. And that is like... Like the original is like something that you something that you order and then the and then the updated one is just like it's just the shine version of it. It's just been like it's like been translated <laughs> and then like kind of translated back. So they've completely lost like the kind of they've completely lost like the dark humor of it. And I think that the only thing that you can do if you are engaged in any kind of creative work. I don't know if either of you agree with me on this, is that you just have to pretend that there is no such thing as social media. Even yeah. if you're writing about social media, even if social media is a kind yeah. of an important it will aspect to, of the thing you're writing, you have to pretend that it just doesn't it has exist. To be, it has to be like that movie we watched where they pretended where no one had social media. Um, and so there was wooden writing, but in a completely different way. Oh, in a completely different way, and I, res- and I, respect- <laughs> and I respected it. Like, because I read a, I read a, I read a novel this year, which honestly read like it was anticipating tweets about it, Ugh. and you, and you just, it's so. I think it's so yeah. inhibiting to any kind of, any kind of creative project, and I think that. Social media, in terms of like what it's done to the kind of creative brain, has occasioned this kind of odd sort of odd sort of flattening. So like you're in a creative writing workshop, but with like the most insane and unpleasant people on the planet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they for some reason have some say over what kind of work you're doing and what mm-hmm. and, and what you're writing. Um and actually you don't have to give them you don't have to give them any say over it. Like if you write, if you write young adult fiction, then you do have to give them some say over it. But quite frankly, that's the bed you've made for yourself. Um, so, but like, yeah. If you start thinking in terms of okay, well, I've got to make sure that I say this because otherwise, what if the what if someone doesn't like it because of this and what and then I've got to then I've got to say this and then contradict myself because what if the what if there's a kind of another person who thinks something different but also might have a kind of issue with it and then you won't and it's just completely inhibiting but also it it sort of creates a sort of sort of situation where um where you're not thinking kind of positively and generously about your potential audience you are seeing your audience as a potential opponent and a potential yeah. antagonist, and that is mm. the absolute worst way possible to mm. approach 
to approach particularly creative writing. I think I think a I'm lot con- of people do I'm it. Con- yeah. I was going to say, I'm conscious about the time right now. The fact that, again, it is the end of the year and we have so many posts. But I do want to give an honorary shout out to wife posting, uh, both for personal reasons and because we had a lot of good wife posts this year. Um, and I sort of wanted to like wrap up two in one. Uh, one which came earlier this year and I sort of forgot about until I read Rebecca's thread. And then it just sort of all came back to me. Uh, but let's start with the Snow Wife post and just the guy who did absolutely deserve to get main character. Uh, this was this was a guy called John Rays, who I think was a CBC. Like he, he was a Canadian like newscaster. I don't think he works for the CBC. Um, but he t- he posted a picture of his wife shoveling snow outside the house. And uh, John Rays goes, um, even after a 12-hour night shift at the hospital last night, my wife still has the energy to shovel the driveway. God bless her and all our frontliners. Time to make her some breakfast with the prayer hands emoji. Um, I think this is definitely one of my favorite posts of the year. Like, if you look at the picture in like itself, uh, there is just it, you know she's doesn't she's not like shoveling just like a small amount of snow of a driveway. Like, this is a place that is just entirely covered with snow, and you have to sort of like dig it with you know a proper like snow shovel if you're gonna like get your car out and everything. And I think just like taking the picture from his window, not really implying that he's gonna go out and help her. I thought that was like a very funny. Uh, yeah, of course, it's quite a funny post. It, like in and of itself, I thought that was quite a good one. Yeah, I think we talked about it earlier on in the year. We did, we did. I think we did part of an episode on it. Like we do, we do episodes on like all the sort of main posts all the time. And then the <laughs> second wife post I had, just to sort of like take us home, is of course the peach wife. Um, so this was an image that was posted. I can't remember who, but it, the kind of illustrator was called Mom Life Comics. And it says, this is the image was like one of the many differences between me and my husband. On the left side, you have the wife who says, oh, look, the last ripe peach. I'll save it for the kids. They love peaches so much. And then on the right hand side, uh, there is the presumed husband who says, oh, look, the last ripe peach. I'll use it as a special treat in my daily smoothie. Um, and, I, and obviously you can kind of imagine what the discourse around that was like. And like, I, from what I remember, there was very like a lot of the discourse was like rooted in the idea of like, she must really hate her husband, like, and all her images are just kind of like, sort of shows her resentments towards him. I don't know if that was true. I don't like kind of think if that was true, but I think like both of these are sort of came in mind because the thing that I remember of this year in terms of all the posts that we've seen and talked about was that there was just a lot of stuff about like wife wives and wife guys, but in a sort of like derogatory way, but also just like relationships and analyzing people's relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of seemed to kind of, so these sort of seem to be like emblematic of the theme. And Rebecca, I wondered like, just as sort of any last thoughts on whether you noticed that as a trend and like what that might suggest about where we are in terms of posting right now. Yeah, I really, I really want to do a story on this at some point, but there is like a really big backlash to, especially like, you know, straight women who complain about mm. their husbands or whatever online. And then the <laughs> backlashes are always like, wow, you must like hate your husband or like just like divorce him, sis, or like whatever. And it's like as, as if like two people living together are not going to get in like small arguments. And as if it's like so insane to complain about them. Like I genuinely like feel for all like the the kind of like the cringe mom accounts that, you know, are are kind of made to be the face of this type of like horrifyingly embarrassing existence um, where I don't know. It's just like, I think most, you know, most women who are like doing a lot of the housework and maybe raising kids and maybe, you know, like have a little like resentment towards their husbands. Like, I think we should just give them some grace. They're not super online. They don't know that they're going to get like destroyed, 
yeah like, I know. in the I comments f- I, f- I fully agree with you here i i yeah. definitely noticed um a little a uh, little fun shift over the last little bit where like some women were a bit annoying about how they liked Hillary Clinton in 2016 and now yeah. it's just like open mm. and now it's just like open season again. I and like, hate that. Yeah. Everyone I saw dunking on this was a man. And yep. like and it was all like kind of oh okay, so like uh here's like a kind of a, like a kind of comic version and like and I'm not being I'm not being unkind here, but I happen to know uh, that at least two of these men have very, very small children, and somebody is looking after those children while yep. they like, while they like, completely in a completely like functionless and kind of unclear what your end goal is here. Uh, make fun of women who they think are lib or cringe all online yeah. all day, and someone's looking after their child while they're doing that. So mm. yeah. No, that stuff like really, really bothers me. But yeah, again, I, really, like, I, I hate. No, I hate yeah. it. I fucking hate it. Like I'm like I'm like I'm like I'm properly like kind of you know what actually maybe we should just like rehash uh, the kind of the 2014 online feminism again because I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like some of it didn't go through what like a like a kind of I yeah, know like, like men had to kind of reconsider their behavior for like six months in 2017 and now it's okay to call women ugly whores again like come on yeah come on. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, like it was one of those because, uh, yeah, we we should yeah we should do an episode on this. I feel like it is like an important thing, and it's worth sort of like interrogating like a fair bit. So yeah, maybe maybe an idea for the new year. Um, yeah, yeah like right. wife stuff. I think uh, I mean just just before we wrap up entirely, Rebecca, uh, and before we say thank you for coming on and spending a lot of time with us, what do you reckon the trends will be? What's what's what do you reckon is going to be hot in terms of posting next year? <laughs> uh, well, I hope we have some kind of like an inverse of like wife guy syndrome. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's <laughs> husband lady or husband woman uh, Ooh, <laughs> would be yeah. a really fun name for that. Um, yeah, just I, I there's never going to be an end to the, that kind of stuff. So why not make it a little bit fun? Yeah, there you have yeah. it. The, the rise of the husband <laughs> woman 2023. Let's see whether it happens. Oh, uh, no, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And your work's really good. Uh, like I've said before to lots of people uh, to subscribe to the goods because I think it's this very smart like commentary on online culture. But I was going to say, is there anything else you want to plug before uh, before we round out? Um, I guess follow me on Twitter as however long I'll be there. And then Instagram, same account. It's Rebecca with four X's. Cool. Uh, and uh, Phoebe, do you want to plug anything before you round out? Um, nah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, nice, Look, you know, you know where to find us. Uh, this show is produced by Devon. Follow them on Devon underscore on Earth. Also listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. Um, and I think that's it for us. And also for the rest of the year unless you are a bonus subscriber in which case there will be a bonus episode subscribe to that then you'll get to hear us some more before the year's out um but if you are only listening to this one as the last one well thank you very much for uh listening to us throughout the year and supporting us where you have um we really appreciate it and all your listens and all your shares like really help us do what we do uh so thank you very much and we are really excited to uh come back next year with some more great analysis and content and maybe maybe i'll be back maybe i'll be back on twitter maybe not we'll see how it goes <laughs> so yeah um we really appreciate it and uh until ne- until next time wherever that is we'll catch you later have a good one bye bye, bye.